A quick note at the start here. There is a little bit of language in this episode. I don't think it's anything gratuitous. I just wanted you to be aware in case you're listening and there are young children within earshot. That said, on to our regularly scheduled introduction. Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. I remember writing essays in elementary and middle school. The teacher would give us a topic or theme to write about, and then we'd have to get up in front of the class and read our essay out loud. I recall a common tendency to begin these essays by presenting the dictionary definition of the word or theme assigned. For instance, a kid would get up and start reading. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines irony as, you get the idea. It was always such a cliché opener, lazy and uninspired, and I tried hard to avoid it. Which brings me to this question. How would you define atmosphere? Merriam-Webster defines atmosphere as the gaseous envelope of a celestial body, such as a planet. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not looking for the scientific definition. I'm talking about atmosphere more in terms of how something feels. I like this definition. The pervading tone or mood of a place, situation, or work of art. Whether he's performing solo with his band or putting together a new record, Milwaukee-based singer-songwriter Mike Mangione excels at atmosphere. And the song of his that we're going to discuss today has a great atmosphere. It's layered and immersive. It swells, draws you in, and surrounds you. If the lyrics are the voice of the guide leading you from one place to another, The pervading tone and mood created by the music is the guide's hand holding yours. I'm Mike Mangione from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This song is from my record Offering, and it's called At Your Gate. Come out, come out, come meet me. I've been poisoned, I've been used And now I'm standing at your gate And I am hanging on your gate And I'll be standing at your gate In my days I ruled deception I was king, I had control But I deceived all those I hold And they flamed in the gold And now I'm standing at your gate And oh
And I was lost in my intentions They were bleeding out your side While I was blinding out my eyes Yeah, 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 yeah And when I left I had direction I have protection, I was free They do not compromise No, they did not compromise And now I'm standing In your Talking about um, "Baby's Got Baby Got Back" by Sir Mixlot, right? That's okay. right. Yeah, you okay. wrote that, correct? Uh, I did. Okay. Was that a collaborative effort? Uh, just me and cocaine, but it was a huge, <laughs> huge impact on my, my my life. I can imagine you probably yeah. haven't 
<laughs> you probably don't really need to work anymore. No. Good for you, man. Yeah. I, I got kids in the background talking. I don't know if that's. Uh, I've only, I've only heard it minimally here and there. So. Cause I yeah. will, I will throw them out of the house. If you, if you tell, just say the word, I'll send them outside. I, I don't feel like you need to do that, but if you're in a place. Just give me a reason. Just give me a reason to kick my kids out of my house. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> How many do you have now? I have 14 kids. Holy cow. So your brother, he's played with you for a long time, right? On the electric? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So when I started uh, in first grade, I was a drummer and he started on guitar. And so we would spend our, we would, we would finish homework and then run downstairs and he, we, we were like the white stripes before the white stripes, <laughs> you know, he would, he would, he had a Marshall uh, half stack. And in, in first uh, grade, it probably sounded kind of like the white stripes. I let you, yeah, my, yeah, my <laughs> drumming was pretty comparable to Meg White's. Yeah. Um, so we've been playing since then. And it wasn't until, uh, college that he, he, he came back into it with me. And we started playing shows around Chicago, Milwaukee. That's awesome. Yeah, it his stuff always it always sounds right. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't always sound like the most complex, but you don't care. And there's a good chance that it's more complex than the way it sounds because he plays it just so naturally. It is pretty involved. It's a pretty involved style of playing. And if you've ever seen him live, oh, I have. We call it the 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 stomp and wiggle, where he he oftentimes. Sh- shakes the neck yeah so yeah and and the idea behind that is we found out early on that playing with fretless instruments violin and cello the intonation oftentimes is off and um when he he adds a natural vibrato so that the sound waves all lock in that's why he does it interesting i because i definitely i know exactly what you're talking about the way you describe it it's it's that image of him playing, and I think I notice him more on stage than I normally would because yeah. he's because he's left-handed. He and I are both left-handed, so we're kind of an awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And play upside down, so it's it's a unique. <laughs> Wait, he he plays upside down too. Yeah, yeah, we both do. Really, yeah. I did not know that. I knew yeah. you did. I didn't know he did. Um, well, he plays he plays a, a lefty guitar that he restrings upside down. Fascinating. It's just an example of why we can't take funding out of music programs. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you guys, how did you learn that way? How did that happen? Well, uh, so when, when I took drum lessons, he took guitar lessons and he was young and the most, I mean, for, for people listening, the most common guitar that you'd find just laying around or at a store is a righty guitar. And you wouldn't know to get a lefty unless somebody was telling you to get a lefty guitar as a left-handed player so he grabbed a, a righty guitar brought it to his uh, teacher who was blind in one eye and pretty much blind in the other like just couldn't see at all and had no idea sure. that his student was playing a righty guitar upside down and so after three months of learning the the guy that ran the music school that my brother went to walked in to give a note to the teacher and stopped in his tracks and said, your student is playing upside down. And then my brother, (laughs) my brother and the teacher looked at each other like, whoa. And you know, after three months, my brother figured he knew everything on the guitar. So why relearn? And so he started that way. And then I just watched him and, and as a lefty as well, I followed suit. That's so funny. You can definitely hear it on at your gate. I mean, like, cause that, 
you know, I'm, I'm doing it. My down strum is your up strum. And so if you were going to play right. at your gate, you'd have to play my ups down and my downs ups. <laughs> so have you ever played with the strings on right side up? That would be ridiculous. <laughs> no, I don't know well, how I to mean... play that way. <laughs> I always say if you play that way, you don't have to be very good to impress people. So I kind of... They're already the... impressed. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're all like... Yeah. They can't believe I'm like the best guitar player in the world only because I'm doing something completely different. I did this. I started doing this trick. Uh, Cause I'll, you know, write some songs with drop D and yes. uh, like, like the high, I'll put the high E down to a D, but I didn't like doing that. That string started breaking a lot more as I kept tuning it down the tuning it back up. Yeah. So eventually what I started doing is I would just use two capos and I would put one a step lower on all the strings and then one on whatever key I wanted to play it in, uh, but only on the top five strings. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to tune the string down and I'm still getting the drop D effect when the string is open and it works. Oh yeah, it works. And, but somebody saw me do it at like a little house show in Philly several years ago. And they were like, Whoa, that's amazing. You're, you're awesome. And I was like, no man, I'm, I'm cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I well, like, I would be one to do that because breaking a string when you're playing a solo show, and oh, it's awful. It's the worst. And I have this like physiological go-to where the moment I break a string, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I can stand in front of an audience, I can talk all night, I can play no problem. But the moment I break a string and something's now out of the ordinary, I sweat profusely. I don't know what I it just is. get mad. <laughs> I stop. I will. I stop playing. I stop the song and I'm really? just angry. <laughs> I don't let people know that I'm angry, but I feel, I feel it on the inside. My wife, she, for years, every show, she's like, have a good show, break a string. And I'm like, honey, don't say that. Yeah. And she says, it's just like breaking a leg. I'm like, yeah, I would rather break my leg yeah. than break a string. Yeah. It ruins it ruins everything. I could play with a broken leg. You can't play with a broken string. See, and I wouldn't I would not sweat profusely if I broke my leg. So I prefer Yeah, you to... just you'd suffer through it. Right. And everything would still sound the same, which is what's important. It's most important. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, I don't know where we've gone now. We've gone gone to the moon and back. We sure have. Have you have you ever gotten any kind of interesting responses from this song in particular? Oh well, yeah. I mean, this song is is a uh, it's a favorite of a lot of people. Um, you know, I'm always surprised by that too. Like people call this one out at shows, and it's it's not my go to song at a show just because it's such a vulnerable song. It's hard. Like it's there's a tendency when you perform that you want to you want to hit people in the face with music. And so something that's more reserved like this, I'm not always queuing it up. Um, or there might be like other softer songs that I play. And then I feel like, ah, now I got to pick it up. And also it's a heart. It's a, it's a vulnerable song and it requires like that ending that, you know, how it ends, it's really like big. And, you know, every time I do that, like there's a yell and like every time I do the yell, I can feel my voice like, losing like like seconds off its life 
when it happens. Does the yell require a lot more of you when you're just doing it solo? Do you hold do you hold back on it a little when you're playing with a full band and let them take over, or do you give it everything? No, I there's a certain seat that it sits in in my vocal box that uh, I need I need to launch into and sit in. You know, it, there's a certain like pocket in my register that when I punch it, it settles into it, it locks in, and it's so it's the same. Okay. I can't half-ass it. It's either I, it's either I like completely choose not to go for it or i have to go for it sure um so but you know so yeah it, it has been it's been great like you know we're at shows where i'll, I'll kind of be rounding out at night and somebody will call it out and they want it um and also it's one of my favorites to play despite like not always playing it it's one of my favorites to play because it's it's you know a lot of times the song performance in order, like my goal is to perform it in a way that's true to the place from where I wrote it. And sometimes you have to mentally do gymnastics to get yourself in that place of where, like the source, you know, songwriting is like cutting yourself and like you're, you're, you're giving a little bit of your blood, but over time it scabs, it, it heals, you know, and over time it kind of, you kind of lose, you lose that spot, that source, that of where it came from. Uh, whether things change in your life or you can't remember. Uh, so as a songwriter, I try to, you know, tap back into that vein and try to get back to that source. But, but that song, I don't have to do that. It's the moment that I play the first chord, I'm, I'm right in it. Like I don't, I don't have to prepare myself mentally at all. I'm, I'm directly at the source of the song. You repeat kind of variations of I'm standing at your gate, I'm hanging on your gate, I'm singing at your gate, kind of stuff like that. But there really is no typical chorus, no bridge. Um, and the last, you know, 90 plus seconds of the song is just almost like the character is at this breaking point and yeah. the music just kind of builds and builds. The atmosphere that you created for it in production, uh, it's, it's a good atmosphere. Do you, you know the uh, the drums, the rhythm in the very beginning? If you oh uh, yeah, picture. it's like it's like the real faint. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, 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 the thuddiness. Yeah. So we didn't really want you know drums have a tendency to have such a, a strong kickback and 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 such a strong punch, but we actually took a Sure Fifty Eight microphone and put it underneath a couch cushion, and then played with drumsticks on top of the cushion, and that's how we got that thud sound. Are you serious? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. We did it in, in Lexington, Kentucky with a, a producer that I had did, I at that time did my last record with Tenebrae. And when I was ta initially talking to the producer a couple of years before that, we connected on one artist named Daniel Lenoir, which is, he's like one of my ultimate artists that I love. He's, He's a great artist in his own right, but he's also been like the super producer for like Dylan and U2 and Emmylou Harris and Willie Nelson. And like those names I just said are huge names. Yeah, right? yeah. <clears throat> but he doesn't only make their record, he makes their record with his stamp on it. Mm -hmm. And so like another artist that he, he had huge success with was Peter Gabriel for two records, So and Us, which were very formative records for me 
so when I was connecting with this producer, I said I wanted to do music that had uh, had an ethereal quality to it that drew people into a place of mystery. And 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 he was, you know, he's like, "What do you like? You know, explain what you mean." I said, "Well, I love like uh, Ray Lamontagne's Trouble record has." Um, a space to it in and, in and of itself. Like it's not just record in a vacuum, the music's right up front in the speakers. It, it, you feel like you're in the room. And I said, another artist that I absolutely love is Danny Lenoir because he, he creates like audible incense. It, the, mm. the recording, the recording permeates. And in the moment he heard me say that name, he feels the exact same way about Lenoir. And he's like, all right, we got to do something. So, we did the first record and the second record, which was uh, has At Your Gate on it, is a record called Offering. And the whole point for, for us was to create that, that um, re- like that hard to obtain element, which is space. Sure. So I guess long story short, like that song was intentionally meant to be a song that drew people into mystery. And right away from the very beginning in the recording process, it felt like we were hitting our stride on it. It's fascinating to me because it's not really narrative and it's not all too transparent. So there are, there are moments, there are phrases that make me think I might have an idea of, uh, of what's going on or where it's coming from. But then there are others that kind of, that kind of throw me for a uh-huh. bit, for a bit of a loop, but it kind of feels like self psychoanalysis, uh, introspection, in the first person yeah yeah i mean that's that's all in very intentional um like the writing that i do is is very rarely is it a, a straight line chronological narrative a lot of the times uh with my music you have to listen to it as vignettes mm. um, vignettes kind of focused around the the thesis so you have, I, I describe it as like telephone poles, like you have the telephone pole, which is the thesis, and then the, the wire, the, telef- the thesis generally, generally is the, um, the course, but in this circumstance, we're, we're saying at your gate. Right. But then the, the wire then that gets you from, from, one thes- from the thesis to the thesis again is the verse. And a lot of the times for me, that's the, a vignette, meaning that it, it all makes sense in the context of the thesis. It, it, all the verses exemplify the thesis or the need for the thesis, but they don't, they kind of exist on their own. That's kind of generally like how I, I like to write, but this song in particular does have, for me, a, it is, for me, it makes sense, the layout, but, but the music is always written like a parable in the sense that it makes sense at a very surface human level. Sure. But it, it also has to make sense at a metaphysical uh, um, level as well. So standing at the gate, you know, I, I often describe it as, um, you know, being at a place of needing change uh-huh. and needing to take a leap in a new direction. And I describe it as, you know, it's not, the song is not about the agony of rearranging your life and just coping. And it's also not about the ecstasy of taking the leap, but the song rests in the, in the ache of the decision. Yeah. I almost included that kind of when I, 
when I asked the question. Um, I, I almost phrased it as it seems kind of like self psychoanalysis, introspection, and conversion in the first person. A character who is at his tipping point and he needs he needs mercy of some kind. That's that's exactly right, and and so that's why specifically saying hanging right. The thing about this, the last one being singing at your gate implies that uh, the character is taking action rather than standing, which is receptive, or hanging, which is also which is desperate des- desperation. Singing implies an action that the character is taking on himself. Yeah, the gate can be a couple things. Um, I know kind of where it originated from. Which I don't really, you know, I don't really talk about too much just because <clears throat> I think it's important to allow people to see themselves in the song. Sure. And and you got to give them that space because if you spell it out, then um, you've already written the beginning, middle, and end for them. And if they don't fit in there, then they, they don't enter in. But the gate, you know, the gate is that it is that place of uh, new beginnings. And it's the place that you need to go. Um, you don't know, you know that everything to the, to your back is not right and it's not where you need to be. And the gate signifies entrance into that new world. So, um, I always try to write, like I said, on two parallels. So theologically, the gate then is also, is, is, is Mary. She is the gate to the, to heaven. Oh, really? So that, that was your, on a personal level, that was kind of your intention. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Yeah, because I was re- at the time I was really getting into Marian theology. Not that I'm not into it anymore, but it was like the first time I, I was experiencing it, and it, it was one of those things where, like, when it started being laid out in front of me, it was mind blowing. Um, you know, Mary's always kind of a question mark. We know she's important uh, because of her her relatives. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but but, um, but but not necessarily. I wasn't really understanding why. And then once I realized that God literally came. You know, as a Christian, you believe God literally came to the earth through this one person. So she is the gate. She is the gate. She's the gatekeeper to uh, to heaven. So not only is this person trying to change change their course from desperation to hope and and fulfillment, um, but they're doing so um, on their knees, uh, facing Mary. So in terms then of the, I don't want to call it negative language, but you know, I've been poisoned. I've been used. In my days, I ruled deception. I was king. I had control, but I deceived all those I hold. How much of this is you kind of reflecting on your own past or just kind of reflecting on human nature in general? Well, they're not separate. <laughs> so Yeah, sure, uh, sure. You know, if we all ponder the human mystery, if, we, if, you, if you create art that ponders the human mystery, who am I, what am I, where am I going, it's... It's relatable to anybody, no, no matter what their background is. Sure. And so, I mean, I know you know this. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I, yeah. I know your music, so I know you understand that. But <laughs> I can, I can relate those, like, poisoned and used. I can definitely relate that to specific experiences in my life. But I can also relate that to uh, people's stories that I see laid out in front of me, whether it be through media, like movies, or whether it be friends, whether it be family members. Um, it's all relative. So I like to try to write it in that way that I can back it up through my own experiences, but I also know it's relatable because I've seen other people go through it. 
So it's kind of both and. Sure. I, I very I very rarely write something that's so specific, except in one song I wrote. Um, I think it's American Martyr. Martyr. I said something about the ground rising to uh, to hit you in the face, and that was one time where I had a little too much to drink, and <laughs> and I literally thought the ground like rose and smacked me in the face, but I had fallen over. So that was <laughs> that was a very specific experience I had. So to sum up, American Martyr then. Uh, that's you felt like an American martyr, just in a state of drunkenness. Well, no, no, no. I was using. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. That song, that song is 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 basically everything. I'm I'm a strong believer in in things are initiated by good intention, but poor execution. So no matter what you know, like, let's just take it back to theologically speaking, sinners. You know, a lot of the times I feel like the good, you know, sinners are good intentions gone awry or, or just missing the mark. And so <clears throat> the American martyr is somebody going for the thing. They're going for the positive. They're going for the fulfillment. But um, human nature and, uh, you know, just different things, frictions and pulls and uh, can, can cause our arc to bow or our, our line to bow, I should say, or our line to arc, and we end up missing the mark. So uh, we become we become, become victims of uh, reaching for the American, uh, become martyrs in reaching for the American uh, dream or the dream in general. I was kind of using American, um, you know, the American dream as a play on words, yeah, but it's sure. really just kind of the dream, the human dream. Well, uh, so some of that pertains to, I guess it's the third stanza here, which is, this is a line that really kind of struck me. I think, you know, when I first heard the song that I was lost in my intentions, but they were bleeding out your side. I think that that seems to pertain to what you were just talking about in terms of, uh, having good intentions, but kind of, uh, losing our way in the midst of them. And then, uh, that to me was kind of the first the first line that really kind of felt um, like it might be a reference to Christ. Yeah, most definitely with the being lanced, where the, the flood of water and blood came out of side. You know that 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 liquid that came out the side is often associated with um, with his mercy, right? But also um, that that line is also a reference to others taking on our our pain. Let's just an example of like an addiction issue where you're dealing with a friend or family member that has some kind of addiction issue. I'm being very particular here, but like, you know, for that, that sickness and illness in their life has caused them to shit on you, like for time and time again. And because of love that you have for them, you endure it uh, despite that constant treatment because not, and not because you enjoy it or because you want it to continue, but because you love them and you don't want to leave them. Um, and so that's just another example of um, the words, oh, for me, always have not just one meeting, but almost a shotgun of, of meanings. Come out, come out, come meet me. I've been poisoned, I've been used And now I'm standing at your gate And I am hanging on your gate And I'll be standing at your gate 
my days I ruled deception I was king I had control But I deceived all those I hold And they flamed in the gold And now I'm standing at your gate And oh, And I was lost in my intentions They were bleeding out your side While I was blinding out my eyes yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I left I had direction I have protection, I was free But they do not compromise No, they did not compromise And now I'm standing in your gate
If you enjoyed my conversation with Mike and you'd like to check out more of his music, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, all those sites. I've put some links in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com and you can always go straight to his own website, mikemangione.com, to get physical copies, check his tour schedule, and learn more. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash songandstory. A lot of work goes into a single episode, and every little bit helps keep the train rolling. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. You can find all those links, and you can learn more, listen, and subscribe today at songandstorypodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Because you still are, here's a little bonus clip dedicated to my dad. Actually, uh, my wife and I, when you did the house concert at the Archwalls in Indy Mm -hmm. a couple years ago, we bought Red Winged Blackbird Man, Mm -hmm. and uh, our... The CD player in our Ford Focus uh, ate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been known. It's been known to um, not only draw attention of humans, but also cars like to to own it as well. So. <laughs> no, no, I mean it broke it. Like it broke our CD player. Oh, I thought you meant like I thought you meant like it wouldn't it wouldn't give it back. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's been in there for three years. We can't get it out. We can't play anything oh, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's that happens. That happens a lot. It's very small print, and it's German, but it says oh. uh, "maybe consumed by automobiles." Shoot, mm-hmm. it says "Achtung." Oh no, I should have. <laughs> I should have noticed. Oh my gosh. Oh, I have to ask. This is the last thing I promise. Because every time I've ever mentioned your name, my dad. Chuck Mangione. Yeah, are you related to him? Yeah, he's a cousin. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I don't know him, but um, you know, I mean, no, I know of him. Um, yeah, the Mangiones came over from Italy, and then uh, he, his family stayed in New York, and my family moved on to Chicago. Okay. Yep. All right. Oh well, there it is. He, I, I no joke, and like I told him, I'm in their house right now because it's too loud at my house with my kids, so I, I shut the. <laughs> I shut the furnace off in the back part of the house so it's quiet. And uh and I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'm gonna just be back there for an hour to interview Mike Mangione. Oh, is he is he related to Chuck? It's like, I don't know. I'll finally ask him because I always yeah. forget. <laughs> yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I always say I always say uh our hats I think our hats are more related. He he wears a hat, <laughs> he's kinda known for his hat. So Okay, all right.